Welcome to Shas Illuminated. Please enjoy the following shear. We should do a Q&A that the question that you ask has to be on the answer that was just given. And that's the whole Q&A, is that's the next question. That would be a good, that would be interesting to see. I won't be the one who's doing it, but, <laughs> but, but that would be, that, that would be, that would be interesting. Then you'd come out with a sugya when, it, when it's over. Okay, so where do we begin, Rabbi Say? <laughs> You know, I, I used to know so many of the guys' names. I think I'm going to ask for names in the beginning, just so... Sure. Give me just first names. Sure. Mayor. Mayor, go ahead. Um, what advice would you give to a person who's struggling with Taiva? Why don't we start with something easy <laughs> and light? The question was, what advice would you give to someone who's struggling with Taiva? What's wrong with struggling with Taiva? There's nothing wrong with it, but you don't want to give in. Okay, this is a huge one. Um, someone who's struggling, I'll just tell you the first step. You know, there's an interesting thing. There's a, there's a whole... Um, area of it's a whole business that became a whole like a, a world famous thing called getting things done. Did anyone ever hear of it? Hear of it? GTD, getting things done. It's a book, but it has like apps and and programs and everything. It's a whole system of how to get things done. It's very 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 intense. Okay, but in getting things done, he has an interesting clue. He says that a lot of times you write on your list like um, like get a mortgage. Let's say if you've ever tried to get a mortgage, it's 20 steps to get a mortgage. You, you try, you have to do the first thing and call a lawyer and call the accountant to get your tax returns and fill out a form. And then you get rejected and you have to try again and approach this bank and that bank. So he says whenever you have something like that on your list that's like has 20 steps, you have to always ask yourself, what's the first thing that I need to do? Okay? So... I'll tell you my first thing. If somebody says I'm struggling with Taiva, I'll tell you my first thing. My first thing is... I want to say, why am I struggling with Taiva? But I don't mean that. My first thing is, is this struggle unusual? Because if the struggle is unusual, meaning for a guy my age, my stage, my situation, is the struggle unusual? Because if the struggle is unusual, then I have to speak to my Rebbe, see what to do. You know, if the struggle is usual, if there's a regular struggle, which is a normal, that's why I right away say, like, what's wrong with that? So then, then you're talking about one tchum, you're talking about one area. If the struggle is unusual, if the type of struggle, if the, if the intensity of the struggle, if, the, if I'm unable to think about anything else would be a good example of that. 
I'm unable to think about anything else. So at some point, it could be something that we need to ask ourselves, because there's a big rule with taiva, and that is that our brains use it sometimes. Sometimes we have taiva because we have taiva, because that's a normal, natural, positive, important part of our lives. And sometimes when our brains want our attention, it uses it as a way to say, I'm hurting, I'm struggling, I'm lonely, I'm in pain, I've, I've, you know, I've been hurt. So that would be my first step to say, what is this struggle? If I talk this over with somebody, is it like, oh, you must be 16 or 18 or 20, oh, okay. That's, that's what guys go through and then we can talk about what, okay, so now what do I do? But, but the first thing to know is there's something unusual here, perhaps. Okay, so let's start with that for now. We'll see, we'll see where it goes. Right. It's a pleasure. Um, regarding parenthood, uh, today's society, is, especially in our community, is very, very, I would say complex, but very, like, there's a lot of different, like, opinions and people one way or the other. But my main question was, when regarding raising your kid, regarding the exposure to our Jewish society, non-Jewish society, is it better to close them off to a lot of what other, like, Gospelness that we have in this world, and will we show more of the Lutheranism of Hashem, or kind of show them the options towards it, and also, even if he decides one way or the other, like, of a, mo- a mother accepting his kid for in the society, either not Jewish, not keeping Shabbos, or do we close him off? Because I've seen in many instances closing someone off kind of gives that space of honesty and openness very limited in a way. Of, okay. All right, the question is, the other one can't hear, right? What? Okay, the question is in short, it was really a very complex question, but the question in short is, if you ra- when you're raising children, oh, hi. When you're raising children, should you, um, when you're raising children, should you isolate them and block them off from the world, or should you allow them to be exposed to what's going on in the world? Let me ask you a question, Okay. Well, I'm just curious if we would like if we would if we if if we would ask the Eilam, how how many people think here that it would be the wise thing to completely isolate the, the to completely isolate <laughs> What? <laughs> that would be interesting. No, I'm talking about kids. We're up to about four. What? Let me ask a different question. How many people here were isolated as kids? That's a very good question. That's a good question. For now, we can't, we can't, I, I, we, we would have to write a book for that. So let's just trust the Olam when we say isolated, that we mean isolated. Okay? Again, how many guys were isolated? Okay. Now here's my question. Here's my question. This is time will be very interesting. How many guys that were isolated think the right thing is to isolate? <laughs> We have two guys here. What? What do you mean by that? 
show them the good and you should prevent the bad as much as you can. But let me let me let me ask you. Most of the room thinks you should not isolate. That's that's what most of the room did. There were four guys that thought we should isolate. Most of the room thinks that you should we should not isolate. Okay, that's what most of the room thinks. Um, we'll have to maybe we have to talk about what isolate means, but that's what most of the room thinks. Okay, let me let me ask you this question. Okay. Do you think that we should brainwash our children? No. What? No. How many people think that we... What? No. Let me... What? It can. I don't mind. You don't have to quiet the island down. What's wrong with the island? You're talking it over. It's funny. I, I once taught, I think you know what I'm referring to. I once taught in a school that whenever the class would, would explode like this, the principal would come running in to see what happened. And I felt like those are the best, those are the best classes. Like for example, let's say you would have a, let's say you would have a kid that's a ger cotton. That's a good marshal, right? So a ger cotton, so we make him into a ger when he's a cotton. And then when he's bar mitzvah, he has to decide that he wants to stay Jewish. Is it? I mean, obviously, if the guy, his parents decide to convert, he's most likely going to, because of the influences in his life, convert. I don't think it's brainwashing because he has a choice then and there. It's possible to reason out of that. Maybe it's an unhealthy circumstance for someone in, but as a friend with many friends who are converts, they didn't feel any pressure but I'm I'm asking I'm asking if it, if the if it make if it makes sense should we be brainwashing our children? Okay, call it what you want. Call it influencing if you want. Should we be influencing our children? What? We should be. What do you mean by that? What? What do you mean? Right, like, it could be we should have just said strongly influence. It could be. What? So why don't we just say, why don't we just say, this is what I do, you can do whatever you want. What? Why don't I trust my children to make that decision?
Yeah, that's that's very painful, but what? Painful, but as long as your children are happy, you're happy. What? Okay, so I think I think we're getting to some kind of consensus here. For sure, absolutely, absolutely. What should the goal be? Don't throw it back at me. Is that true? That they'll naturally want to do it? Okay. Okay. Let's let's do, let's let, let me try to sum up what's going on here in the room a little bit. Okay. Let let me let me try. There's a lot of a lot of very 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 good points and a lot of very good opinions, not just good, but sophisticated opinions. But let me, let me try to sum up what's going on here, okay? Um, if, I, if I believe, and that is what I believe, and that's what I know, that Yiddishkeit is not only the truth, but it's also the most fortunate, delicious life that a person could live. If that's the way that I am going into this, and it is the way, it's my, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is the MS as I understand it, okay? So, so yes, I want my children, I want my children to have that treasure and that greatness and that deliciousness and that power, that opportunity that, that, of Yiddishkeit. HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave it to us and I want to give it to them. So when I influence them, I don't look at it that I'm influencing them to my way. I look like, as many of you mentioned, I'm influencing them to the truth. Not just to the truth, but the most fortunate truth possible. I'm influencing them. Imagine, imagine a parent would influence his child to be a, a, a billionaire. Someone would say, you know, you really shouldn't influence your child. If he wants to choose poverty, he could choose that. Nobody would say that. No, of, of course, I want my child to have all those opportunities. So wh- when it comes to influence, when it comes to, to, to isolating, just to get back to the question, when it comes to isolating, I think it's a very, very delicate thing. Because the goal, the goal is that my child should see the world properly. That's the goal. And the goal is that as my child goes through life, he should be able to continue to see the world properly. Right? I'm sorry? I'm not... Okay, hold that thought for a second, okay? That's a good... We'll we'll go there, okay? But just hold that thought for a second, okay? But Lemaisa, the fact is like this, that if I am, am allowing my child to be exposed to things that will just distract him and overwhelm him from being able to absorb that truth, let's say. I'll get to your question in a minute. Bear with me. So then I want to protect him from that. If I'm going to try to protect him to the point 
that he's bursting out of that protection and he's so curious about what's going on out there that, that, that it becomes a struggle, so then I have, to, I have to take that into account. The point really is, Rabbi Kalish right now, by the way, my prediction, Rabbi Kalish right now is going out of his mind. Okay? And the reason is because Rabbi Kalish, what's going on in his head right now is he's saying that's not the question. That's what he's saying. That's not the question. It's not about what you're isolating your kids from. It's what you're exposing your kids to. It's about the world that you're connecting him to. Right? So, yes, it, there's a delicate dance in terms of isolation, but the real influence is not what... In other words, you, l- l- let me say it straight, okay? You could have two kids that are isolated exactly the same way. And one of them will say, oh, I was choked as a kid, it was terrible, I'm Amish, I wasn't exposed to anything. And the other one will say, what, isolated? I don't know what you're talking about, I never felt isolated. Because it's not really about that, it's really about, about what I'm serving the kid. Not, when, when, like, like when you're serving a meal, it's not what I'm not serving, it's what I am serving. If what I'm serving is not satisfying, so that I'm looking elsewhere, if what I'm serving is satisfying, then I'm, then I'm, then I'm satisfied. But yes, that's a delicate dance. But in terms of what you said about, about that's what I think, you realize how far that goes? I was thinking about this, this um, interesting... I'm going to go a little intellectual now for a second, okay? For a minute. It's not my fault. Okay? There's a, there's a, there's a philosopher, he's a, he's a professor... For the, in the University of Pennsylvania, Zach Rosen actually was a student of his. His name is um, his name is Adam Grant. Anybody heard of Adam Grant? What? He's a writer. Yeah, you've heard of him. So he wrote he wrote a couple of interesting books. He wrote a book that we once talked about called Give and Take. What? Oh, he just came out with Think Again. It's a pretty new book. And that's what I want to talk about. Think again. Dylan's holding. No, no, no. See, he wrote a book, Think Again, and I was very, very, very excited about this book. I thought it was such a good, such a good idea. The idea of Think Again is to teach people to be able to think about the other tzad. To be able to think, to be able to think, you went, you went half your life thinking one way, now, now think differently. To be able to change your mind. To be able to think about something differently. To have the intellectual flexibility to be able to think about something differently. It sounds exciting, right? So I was very, very excited about it. I started reading the book, and halfway through the book, I suddenly got this terrible taste in my mouth. You know, like when you feel metal in the back of your mouth, you know, like I suddenly got this terrible taste in my mouth, and it was because of Daniel Kahneman. You know who he is? Daniel Kahneman wrote another very, very famous book called Thinking Fast and Slow. Anyone? What? You read it? So he's a... uh, Does everyone just sit and read all day? so, so thinking fast and slow is like a, almost a thousand-page book. But anyway, Daniel Kahneman, who's related to the Panavizharov, um, 
he, he's, he's in Adam Grant's book. Adam Grant had an, an interview with him. And he's very much the type that when you point out to him something that he thought that was wrong, he gets very, very excited. As soon as you point out, you, you, you said yesterday you were wrong. Oh, it's a big geschmack for him. I was wrong. And he has this line that he says that every time he finds out that he was wrong, he knows that he's a little less wrong today. So he's, he's happy. And again, I was excited. That's very exciting. It's nice. Imagine people live that way. It's very nice. And then, and then I got the disappointment. The disappointment was that Adam Grant asks what he, he calls Danny Kahaneman. He asks him how it is that he became that way. That, he's, like, that, that if he was right, if he was wrong, it doesn't matter at all. So he said the way that he became that way is that he trained himself that his opinions have nothing to do with his identity. His thoughts and opinions have nothing to do with his identity. What? His thoughts and opinions have nothing to do with his identity? Then what's his identity? What kind of toes he has? What's his identity if it's not his thoughts and opinions? He flows, he flies like a, like a leaf in the wind. He has nothing grounding him. I was wrong? Yeah, I was wrong. It's all, it's all, life is a party. But th- then there's no me. Right? That's... Isn't that more honest? What? Isn't that more honest? See, that's the thing that we really, really... That's, that's the discussion. That's a very, very, very good reaction to what I'm saying. And, and, and that's the discussion here. And the real, real, real truth of the matter is that what you just did reacting to me, that's the conversation here. Okay? Because, yes, you're 100% right. It's not honest. Okay? But let's explain what we mean that it's not honest. What it's not honest means that I am going to look at the world through the, through the, through the perspective of my brain and I am going to be convinced that there is nothing in the world that could detect truth better than my brain. So whatever I think now, that's the truth. That's honest. But the truth is that my brain, it's no, you're wrong. You're not honest. Because what, you, you, your brain is so perfect? You know, you, you know how biased we are? You know how unbelievably biased we are? I went there to ask, who, who over here was, um, thinks that a person should be isolated? Okay, let, let me be honest here for a second. There's a room full of people here. I don't know all of you. At this point, unfortunately, to my tsar, I don't know most of you. Okay? But I know that most of the room is not isolated right now. I know that. And I knew I was playing a game with Eilam. It was a trick. I was playing a trick. What was my trick? My trick was that when you ask a non-isolated Eilam if it's good to be isolated, 97% of them will say that it's good to be not isolated because that's the way they are. And then you have a few outliers, Baruch Hashem. You know, I don't mean Baruch Hashem on the Shita, I mean Baruch Hashem on the outliers. But, 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 but the truth is, we're completely biased. Do you know how crazy biased we are? Do you know what anchoring is? What? Rabbi Kalish, you know what anchoring is? Anchoring is like this, okay? If I ask you, um, 
If I ask you, um, how tall do you think Mount Everest is? You think it's 100 feet tall, 1,000 feet, 5,000 feet? What do you think? Okay. What? So the, the way it works with, um, with, with anchoring is that if I would say 1,000 feet, 5,000 feet, 10,000 feet, and you don't know how tall Mount Everest is, you'll assume a lower number than if I say, how tall do you think Mount Everest is? 10,000 feet, 50,000 feet, 100,000 feet? You're automatically going to pick a higher number. Is that honest? No. It means that I could play with you. I'm going to tell my story that I love to tell about honesty, okay? Because it's a reminder to me about how dishonest I am, okay? My story about honesty is... That, um, that I, I, I had a guy, I had a chavrusa, I'm, I'm sorry, because you've heard this before, but this is my favorite, this is my go-to, okay? I had a chavrusa in Waterbury 22 years ago who, um, who was not a smart guy, okay? Not a smart guy is the understatement of the year, okay? He was really, really, really not intelligent. You know, like when a guy struggles in learning, you say, yeah, he's not so good in learning, but, 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 but in life, he's very smart. No, this guy wasn't smart in life. He wasn't, he was, he wasn't smart in reading. He, wasn't, he couldn't follow a movie from beginning to end. He couldn't follow a movie from beginning to the second scene. He was not smart, a very, 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 very not smart guy. He was socially not smart. He was just a completely not smart guy. Okay? Very, very sad. A big miyuchas. He was a big miyuchas. He came from a very hush of a family, but he was very not smart. And it caused him a lot of trouble because we couldn't help him learn to understand himself, which was very, very hard. He dealt with a lot of addiction issues and anxiety issues. And one of the main things that we try to do with a guy like that is that we try to help the person be able to reflect about himself. But we couldn't get him to think about himself. He wasn't capable. Okay? Fine. Not a smart guy. He, moved, he left Waterbury. He went on. He got a job somewhere. He, he floated from job to job. He's not married. You know, like, like unfortunately, like you would expect. And anyway, we'll call this guy Ruvain. Okay? A guy from my shul. You're Ruvain? Okay. We're going to call him... Azariyahu. Is there any Azariyahus here? <laughs> okay. So Azario, okay, that's Azario. One, one guy in my shul, a guy in my shul goes to Brooklyn for Shabbos, and he comes back after Shabbos, and he tells me, you'll never guess who I was sitting next to in shul this Shabbos when I was in Brooklyn. So who are you sitting next to? This guy, Azario, he says he knows you. My heart sinks. I'm like, yeah, what did he say? He said that you are the best guy he ever met. Okay. My instant thought, and I know I'm not alone. My instant, instant thought was, maybe he's not so stupid. That was my immediate thought. Okay? Because we, we, our brains are not honest. Our brains are not honest. Okay? If you, you know, you, 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 how many people, how many, do guys here follow politics? Okay? So if you follow, I don't want to talk about politics. It's like... That's not for now. But if you follow politics, you know that people, one of the things that drive me crazy is that people are very uniform. They're very, 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 very uniform. So should we allow guns? Should we not allow guns? 
I, you don't have to tell me what you think. Tell me what you think about other issues and I could check what you think about that issue. I'm waiting for a guy to be like this strong conservative Republican and say, but I don't hold of guns. I'm waiting for that guy who could, because a lot of the issues have nothing to do with each other. It's just that you're in a camp. You ever notice that? That's honest? All those people out there saying, oh, you have to be honest. Not, not one of them is honest. And the author of the books themselves that are writing about complete honesty, they themselves are not honest. Oh, no, but the question is, you're, you're right. You're right. But if I've discovered an objective truth, if I've discovered something that I know to be an objective truth, and I ground my identity in something that I know is objectively true, and I build my world around that, is that honest? That's right. And that, right there, in that, this conversation, is where Emunah and Bitachan comes in. And that's the conversation. That is the conversation. At which point do we say, do we say, my, my brain operates until here, and from here on, I'm, 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 I'm trusting HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I'm trusting in the Torah. And that we, that, and, and how do I know that I could trust and Amuna and so on? Maybe that will be a question. We could talk about that. But that's, isn't that really the answer? But, but let me just, let me just loop it back, okay? Assuming that that's my perspective, okay? When I'm raising my child, or when I'm living my life, no, I'm being very honest. As a matter of fact, I'm being from the most honest possible. Because, because I, it has nothing to do with my mood. We once had over here, we once had over here, uh, in this shul, um, we, used to, we used to say on Shabbos morning, we used to say a prayer for the, for the state of Israel. Everything, okay? We used to say the prayer. Do you remember Rabbi Kalish? Okay? We used to say a prayer for the state of Israel. And there were hashkafic issues with saying the prayer, not saying the prayer. There were different shitas about it. Fine, I don't even know the sugi that well. But there are shitas about it. When I asked Shilas, when I became the Rav, they told me it would be better to say the prayer for the soldiers of Israel, because they're yidden that we care about, than to say it about a political entity. Okay, made sense to me. I always had it at the back of my mind. Anyway, a bunch of years ago, like I think in 2013 it was, the, the, the state of Israel started the disengagement. They told settlers that they have to leave. I don't know the details. You remember the, the disengagement? So the guy here, who Rabbi Kalish knows very well, who used to get up every single Shabbos and say the <coughs> prayer for the state of Israel, he was mad at the state of Israel that Shabbos. So he got up and he said the prayer for the soldiers. I went over to him after davening. I said, Ron, what happened? Like, why? He's like, disengagement, throwing Jews out. You don't throw people out of their homes. He's, he's not saying a prayer for the state of Israel. This went on for a few weeks. I was delighted. That was what I was trying to get done to begin with. I'm all happy. And then one week he comes back up here. He says the prayer for the state of Israel. What happened? Now he wasn't so angry anymore. Like the tkufa ended. He wasn't so angry anymore. So I went back to him and I said to him, any prayer that you're saying when you happen to like the people you're praying for, we're not going to say. Do you understand what I mean by that? You hear that, right? All right, let's move on to another question. I think we certainly, we certainly got to the next step, right? Okay, tell me your first name even though you didn't... Uh, what? Chaim. Chaim. 
Go ahead. The first way or the second way? That's a very, very interesting question. In other words, I'll, I'll, let me give you an example. Let, well, I'm gonna, I'll say the question. What's your first name? Tzvi. Okay. Let me, Tzvi is asking, if I understand correctly... Tzvi is asking like this. You, you're brought up, let's say, family or neighborhood, community or shul, whatever it is, and you do things a certain way. Maybe we'll give some examples soon, okay? You do things a certain way. And as you grow up, you come to the realization that it was not right. It was not the right way. So Tzvi is asking, how do you make the shift to be able to believe and to be able to live your life the way that you now understand to be right. Is that accurate? That's a very good question. That's a very good question. Okay, let me, uh, let me, let me, give you, let me tell you something that went on in my life, okay? Okay? I was brought up this is actually never discussed with Rabbi Kalish, so this will be interesting. Um, I was brought up, the, the, the world that I was brought up in was, um, was very, 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 very anti-modern orthodoxy, okay? Very anti, okay? And, and with a disdain, you're familiar with that type of, uh, with a disdain, like... Okay, then a few years ago I went to teach in Landers College and the Rosh Hashiva there knows Kalatai Rakula. You ever talk to him? He knows, am I exaggerating? No, he knows Kalatai Rakula. He literally, if he came in here, you should get him one time. He came in here, he will tell you on anything he says, Gemara, Daf, Amud, how many lines from the top. Like, you know, like this is someone like any, any, anything in the 24th farm of Tanakh will tell you Perak, Pasuk, any tshuva sefer will tell you Simonai and Ches in the second paragraph. Like an incredible knowledge. So I'm in awe. I'm in absolute awe. And I already know him for three years. I'm in awe of the man. Absolute awe. Okay? And he, his, he, his entire chenuch is YU. That's his entire chenuch. So I started to think a little bit like, what should I just take a part of Klal Yisrael and just toss it out the window? Look what happened here. Look what this yeshiva created. It's unbelievable. I, you don't... Okay? So getting back to your question, Svi. So, so, um, so I'm brought up in a way that like that world is off limits. We're not much of it. We're not going to say overtire from it. We're not going to learn it. We're not going to value it. It's, it's off limits. Slowly but surely, as an adult, I start hearing things that make me think, maybe I should reassess that. Even if there's a machlaikis, or even if there are things that they do that are wrong, but just to put an X over an entire part of Klal Yisrael, maybe I shouldn't do that. What do you think? Maybe that's not the right thing. 
Tzvi, would this fall into that category? So now I find myself, so let's say for example, next year I'm teaching Mesech Tepsachim. So I went online this morning and I started looking at Tzfarim on Mesech Tepsachim that I want to order. And I saw the, the, uh, the Shiurim on Mesech Tepsachim from Rav Soloveitchik from YU. And which is, I think, very good Torah. So I start thinking to myself, should I, I'm, you know, I'm clicking add to cart, you know, and I'm feeling to be exactly what you're, de- what you're describing. I'm thinking to myself, like, there are people who raised me who if they knew that I was clicking add to cart, they would be horrified, absolutely horrified. And I, like Bishita, I don't, I, I don't want to be putting an X on people that learn Tyra. I don't want to do that. Okay? I just want to make sure we're communicating. No, I understand. I understand. But the example is a good example? Right, no. I wasn't saying what they think because I care what they think. I was saying what they think because it's torturing me in terms of how I feel. Right? Okay? Okay, that's a good, that's a good, that's a good marshal? Okay. So I'll, I'll, I'll give you two tips. But I'm on this journey as well, as you could see. So when you come up with tips, you get back to me. Okay? We'll, we'll work on it together, okay? My two tips are, I don't act on it right away. If I start feeling like maybe something the way I was brought up was wrong, I let it sit in me for a while. I don't mind. It's okay for me to be unsure for a while. Or to, okay, maybe it was wrong, maybe it was right. I don't know right away. I could wait a couple of years. That's first of all. I think it helps, because it helps me get used to it. That by the time I'm willing to take action, I feel confident. Okay, fear? Okay, step two is that I do it even if it doesn't feel good and I don't expect it to feel good at the beginning. Because of what you're saying, you said it very, very, very intelligently. The way we're brought up is what feels best to us. So I'm going to do something the new way and it's going to feel weird. It's like putting on a pair of shoes that you never wore before, right? And I tell myself, this feels weird. It doesn't mean that anything's wrong. It's supposed to feel weird in the beginning. And then I think eventually, I think eventually it'll feel even better than I felt before. That's what I think. But we'll, we'll have to keep each other posted, okay? Okay. Okay. Go ahead. First of all, you're asking a very, very, very unfair question. Because you're making the assumption that it's right to throw people out. No, and you're asking me why it's right. Why, who said it's right? I'm saying, why do people, how do people do it justify it? What? How would a person who can't get kicked out of So how does that justify it? Is, it? is it right or is it wrong? You know, it's interesting that you bring the story of Rabbi Shua ben Gamla because the truth is that that story, I think, the, the, the an- it's not an answer, because it's a very, 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 very difficult thing. But the, the way that Rabbeim are supposed to approach their Talmidim is in that story. 
And that is that until Yerushua ben Gamla, who taught Torah? The fathers. Why? Why did Hashem make Klal Yisrael in such a way that fathers teach their sons? Why? Yeah. Okay, I accept that. I will take it even a step further. That just like your father gives you life, he gives you life. Right? Right? There's that sense. When Rav Hutner spoke about the Rabbi Shua ben Gamla, so he said, he said, like, imagine taking a, uh, a, a, a woman is expecting and telling her, you know what, instead of you carrying this baby, we're going to put the baby into an incubator. It's the same thing. The baby will come out okay. No, that's not the same. If you don't know any science, you know that it's not the same. It's just not the same. The father is the father. The mother is the mother. Okay, we're on the same page here? So when Rabbi Shulam and Gamla came along and he said that there should be yeshivas, isn't it obvious that what he was saying was that the yeshivas should be the father? Right? Because, because he wasn't being chaylik on the Torah. The Torah says, Vashinantem levanecha. Right? So he was saying that the yeshivas should be the father. So now, you ask your question again. Now it's even a harder question. Yeah. Well, we know they used to, hundreds of years ago, they used to, a child would go off the barrack, and it's a shiva. So we know there was a... That is not so pashat. That is absolutely not so pashat. No, first of all, to sit Shiva, the child would have to embrace Christianity. Okay? That's a different thing. That's a, it's, a, it's a different... It's, it's like, yeah, it's a completely, completely different... different area. It has to do with Avay Dezara. It's a, it's a completely different thing. But you know there's a, there's a, there's a chazanish that um, the Rabbi Sorsha showed me. You know this chazanish about Tinek Shanishba? The Chazanish says, unbelievable, unbelievable Chazanish. It's in, in, in Al-Khazavay Dezara. The Chazanish says that in previous generations, we were harder on people that started to drift away from Yiddishkeit than we are today. And he says a very easy, very simple reason why. He says it used to be that there was such clarity that the Shechina was with Klal Yisrael there was such clarity about Torah and, and Nisim and, and the types of Gedolim that we had and everything was so clear that for someone to reject that, it was like, what's, what's, what's your problem? Why are you rejecting that? Don't you see it? And the Chazidish says that part of our Gullah is that we live in a world where it's not so clear. And he says, Memela, we are not allowed to have that level of, of strength of, with people that, go, that, that, that drift away because they're drifting away because it's not so clear. Look at this conversation that we're having, which any honest group of people that get together to talk should be having this conversation. Okay? This is the conversation. How do I know what's right? What's called being honest? Why didn't I just... Remind me your first name again? Why didn't I just tell Chaim? Chaim, can't you tell... Because we can't tell. That's why we're talking about it. Because it's harder to tell. So even if it's true that in previous generations there were strong ways that we dealt with it, the Chazanish says it doesn't necessarily apply today. And even then, if, they, if someone struggled with their, with their Yiddishkeit, they didn't throw them out. They didn't throw them out. I was... Uh, the, the, um, you spoke about Uri Zohar at all? What? 
You heard? What? Do, do, do you guys know who Ori Zohar was? What? Okay. So, so incredible. So I, I'm, since I'm a teenager, I'm like obsessed with Ori Zohar. I like just... And, and, um, and as I got older, the obsession just got worse. You know, I'm like blown away from him. But he, he says, I saw a video of him. He says that he went with a, with a woman, a rabbinit, he said, to Rebel Yashiv to ask if she had eight children. One of them was struggling. She wanted to know she should throw him out of the house. You never heard this? She went to Rebel Yashiv. She told Rebel Yashiv it's a bad influence on the other kids. So Rebel Yashiv said, okay, so find a place for the other kids. It's funny, I saw this video last night, I almost sent it to you. Isn't that incredible? He says, find a mukham for all your kids. Which, he doesn't say any more than that, but you know what happened. Yoshev says, oh, I, can't, I can't do that. Okay, you can't do that. Did you just hear yourself? So I'm not such a fan of the whole... I got myself into big, big trouble in Waterbury, more than once, because I was on the other side of your question. So... So I, I, I'm not a good person to ask the question to defend the rights of people throwing people out of yeshivas. I'm not a big fan. I'm, I'm, when, 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 a, when a Rebbe sits with... I was in Chaim Berlin by, by Reb Chaim Siegel. When he, when he told the Bachar to leave, which he did sometimes, he kept in touch with him, he found him a yeshiva, he found him a makkah, he did it with love. It's, like, it's a different... I'm not talking about finding the right place for someone. And I'm also not talking about, I have, to, I have to say this, throwing someone out and claiming that I'm doing it to find the right place for him. I'm not talking about that either. I'm talking about really, 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 I love this kid and I want to find the right place for him. Okay? Yeah. Okay. Um, first of all, my name is Adani. Um, my question is that a lot of like, Jews, they have like, different... Spartan have different monogamy than Ashkenazim. My question is that, like, why is it that, like, certain, what's right in, like, monogamy? Like, a lot of people have different ways of doing things. Um, which, I don't know. That's an interesting thing because your question is based on, on, on the idea that there is only one right. Is that true? Yes. What? I guess. You know, the way you're asking the question, it's almost like, like, well, how, how does Hashem want you to do it? This way or that way? It can't be He wants you to do it both ways. Like, which way does He want? Right, right. There's so, there's so many ways of, like, being Jewish. And not just that. Let me add to your question. Right, right. You know, I had, I had this yantif. I had my sister-in-law for yantif. I wait six hours between, between uh, meat and milk. My sister-in-law waits three hours. And my daughter is married to a guy who's Dutch. He waits one hour. So we had six, three, and one at the table together. It's confusing. I think we have to rethink this um, one way, way of thinking, and we and we have to be we have to be careful about it, because 
Um, the, the muscle that I like the best, even though it's a bit cliche, but I like it the best, is music. So, so the amazing thing is, like nowadays, um, do, does anyone here make music? Anybody? What? I mean, like on a computer? Okay, so when you're, when you're blending different instruments, so they're not playing the same thing, obviously, right? They're not, if they were all playing the same thing, they would all sound like each other. They're all, what? They're all adding to each other, but they're all playing the same song, though. And there's something very, very sophisticated about that. That, yeah, we're all, we're all looking at Har Sinai. We're all keeping the same Tyra, but within that song called Tyra, there's all kinds of harmonies and ways. And I could be doing the violin, and you could be doing the drums, and it's very different, but we're both playing the same song. And I, that's how I look at the different minhagim. Somebody told me that the Sfarim even say that the different shvatim had different minhagim. Did you ever hear that? So there were 12 shvatim, there were 12 different paths. So let's make harmony. Where am I holding with time? What? We should keep going? Okay. Yeah. What's your name first? Shkayach Avrami. What? Yosef. Yosef wants to know how a person balances self-love and valuing himself and knowing that he's a big person with being haughty and full of himself. I have to be honest with you, okay? I have to be honest that I hear the question intellectually. Emotionally, I don't have the question. I'll explain to you why I think, but personally, I just, I promised you honesty. Emotionally, I don't hear the question. And the reason that I think that's the case is that I grew up very, very, very insecure and very, very self-doubting. And um, you've ever heard of like imposter syndrome? Anyone? Okay, you know what that is? Imposter syndrome is like, is like when, when, um, Let's say, um, let's say, let's say Rabbi Kalish would go to a, 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 a Malava Malka for Chinuch. And they would announce the wonderful Machanech, Rabbi Daniel Kalish, and he would get up and he would be thinking to himself, what am I doing here? What do I know? About? I, don't, I, I don't belong here. I, I don't have anything to say. That's like, I feel like an imposter. That's imposter syndrome. Okay? I suffer from that a little bit, but when I was younger, much, much more. One of the first conversations I ever had with Rabbi Kalish, I wonder if you remember this. How do you remember that? <laughs> wow. 22 years ago, we started teaching Torah together, and I went over to Rabbi Kalish, and I was like, what are we doing? Who are we? And Rabbi Kalish was like, this is the job, we got to do the job, you know? But, so you saw my imposter syndrome then. You know, the, the, so, so, I, so that's how I grew up. But I'll tell you another thing about me. Again, I promised you honesty. I also grew up a very big Balgaiva. And those people that saw me would never have guessed how lowly I thought of myself. I, I knew how to carry myself. I carried myself well. Okay? When I was in 12th grade, the younger guys in high school, they were scared to come over to me. 
Okay? And they didn't know that I was much more terrified of them. I was terrified of every ninth grader. But they were scared to come over to me. Because I carried myself. So to me, the two things really work the opposite way. I'm able to get up here in front of a room full of people who barely know me and talk about the fact that I used to be a Balgaiva because I started loving myself. As soon as I started to value myself, as soon as I started to be able to see, oh, one second, you know, maybe I do belong here. Maybe I, do, maybe I am doing a good job. You know, we have in, 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 in our shul, we have um, a lot of programs that we do. But to me, one of the most, most special ones is that on Friday nights, I sit with the, with the elementary school kids and we learn Chumash together. Okay, and I love it. I sit with it. Sometimes it's 20 kids. Sometimes it's 40 kids, you know, and I, I love it. And I have this crazy, crazy track record that the kids that I mamish love turn out to be the ones that Yeshiva Katana is tearing their hair out from. And, and I walk over to Rabbeim and Yeshiva Katana and I'm like, so-and-so, right? Great, right? And he's like, what? You know, I have this again. Again, I don't, I, you know, we, we can talk about why, but I love, I love it. And I get home, and Friday night in the winter, to leave your house after the meal to go teach, not easy, okay? I don't know if you remember, but it gets very cold here, okay? And Friday night after the meal is not the time that you want to be freezing cold. And I, and I hate it. At that minute, I finish benching, I put on my coat, I like literally clench my teeth, tell my wife, okay, gotta go. I'm not in the mood. I am not in the mood. I go to shul, I learn with these kids, it's incredible. Incredible. They're open. I'm open. It's incredible. I walk home and I feel, and I say this to myself, I tell myself, that's a rav. That's what a rav does. And, and I, I don't think it's gaiva. I don't think so. What? Because, well, you know what? Let me tell you this, okay? There's such a thing as gaiva to really, really think you're the best guy in the room. That you really, you're an emotionally healthy person and you just objectively think you're the best guy in the room. I don't know too many people like that. I don't think it's so common today. Maybe I'll get there one day and have that midorah to deal with. But I don't, I don't think I'm in that, the running for that today. Okay? Today, I think the answer to your question is that it's exactly the opposite way. I think the more that I love myself and the more that I'm confident in myself, the less haughty I'm going to be because today, today haughtiness is all a cover-up. Okay? It's all a cover-up. You know, like when a guy is, when you have a guy shows up to yeshiva and he's a very, very angry guy. Okay? All of you know this. You know that anger is a cover-up for pain. Right? It's pashat. Right? It's pashat. Okay? Gaiva is a cover-up for, 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 for feeling low. Now, there is such a thing, this forum talk about this thing called gaiva, where you really think you're the best guy in the world. Not so common, Bizman Azar. Okay, should ask him? What? Okay, let's move on. Yosef, right? Shkayach. Okay. Go ahead, go ahead. What's your... Thank you. Where does one draw the line between Damakas Fus and then like how can we like like oblivious to the situation? That's a great question. This is not a whole answer. The question was, first of all, your first name. 
Avrami's question is, where do you draw the line between Dan Lekafschus and not being oblivious? Okay, that's a good question. Okay, I, I have a, a, a little bit of a trick, okay? It's not, it's not a full answer, but it's a little bit of a trick. And that is in the world of Dan Lekafschus, Okay? In the world of Dan Lekavzchos, let's talk about that for a minute, okay? Because there's different kinds of Dan Lekavzchos, okay? Let me give you an example. Let's say I am, I'm walking and I see a guy that I know drives by and doesn't offer me a ride, okay? So that's an, an, something that happened, right? So Dan Lekavzchos would be to say he didn't notice me, okay? What if he turned to me, looked at me, and then didn't offer me a ride? So Dan Lekavzchos would be that... That he's going, he has a big emergency. Or that there's something, he's on a phone call that he can't, that's, that's, that he would be embarrassed if I came into the car. That would be Dan Lekavzchus, right? What if I know for a fact that he has no emergency and there's nothing going on? He just looks at me and drives on. Then what? Then we're done with Dan Lekavzchus. Then he's just, excuse me, but then he's just an idiot. Right? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think there's a level of Dan Lekavzchus that I feel bad for whatever it is that made him not be able to relate to me that way. In other words, how many nasty people have you met that are just stam nasty? They could have chosen two paths and they were like, nice guy, nasty, nice guy, and I'll be nasty. How many people do you know like that? There's almost no such a thing. Nasty people are people that have been through difficult things, that people were nasty to them, that they think that's what they need to do to, to survive. Isn't that true? So if someone's nasty to me because he's nasty, my Dan Lekavzchus is... Nebuch, so many people were nasty to this guy. Right? So that to me is, the answer, is part of the answer. That sometimes I could not be oblivious and I see things for way, the way they are and I understand what's happening. I understand what's happening, but, but Dan Lekavzchus tells me the context how to understand that. Okay, you understand what I'm saying? It's a lot of it is a is a lot of a, a lot of Don Lekavzchus works that way, is understanding what's happening here. Now you don't have to call him an idiot, but this, yeah, that right, right, and it it does change. Being able to have that type of Don Lekavzchus is very, very, very important. It's very, very, very important to be able to, to be able to be open to things, to be able to hear that things could be different. Like we're we're doing a Q and A now, so as we're talking, a bunch of guys got up and walked out. So if I was just coming in from somewhere, it's possible that I'd be like, "Arikelish, what on earth is going on here? You know, what's happening?" So, down the kafschus, there's nothing to be done. The real down the kafschus that there's no. There's no need to be done. Different people have different abilities to sit. People have things going on. People have things on their minds. Some people could focus. Some people have a harder time focusing. Dan Lekavzchus doesn't mean like, oh, must be every guy in the room had a dentist appointment. No, that's not Dan Lekavzchus. You know what I mean? Dan Lekavzchus is understanding that it could be my sense of what people could sit through is wrong. That's Dan Lekavzchus. 
Do you have anyone that doesn't like you, Rebekahilish? No, Rebekahilish. Do you have anyone that doesn't like you? Huh? I have in my shul, there's a club. They don't know that they're in a club. But I have a club in my shul. There's a few guys, you know. I always wonder what would happen if I would introduce them to each other. That mamish, mamish, mamish can't stand me. Like, I, I cannot tell you. There's one guy, one guy made a simcha here in the shul, and he left me a voice message before Shabbos. I'm making a simcha in your shul, you're not invited. Okay? He continues to daven here religiously. Another guy got mad at me at some point during COVID, and he davens in the shul very rarely, but when he does, he walks out when I get up to speak. Like, seriously? Like, when I get up to speak for three minutes, he walks out. I shouldn't think that, that he's listening to me. Okay? That's another guy. There's like two or three guys. Okay? So, so should I, how should I be down the kaf schus? Should I be down the kaf schus? <laughs> what? I am down the kaf schus. I, I, have no, I have no negative feelings to them. Mamish none. In fact, I feel like they are the most needy people in the shul. If the, any of these guys would come over to me and... and what? I'm down the kafschus that the things that I did that hurt him, that he was very vulnerable and that it was difficult and that he's having a hard time dealing with it and that he doesn't have good chinuch of how to deal with challenges. Maybe the, sh- the rub of the shul when he was growing up with wasn't someone that connected with him well. There's a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of down the kafschus you could have. I wasn't always like this. A lot of it came from Rabbi Kalish, a lot of it came from being in Waterbury, that, you know, to be able to look with that kind of perspective at people. You know, I, I was not born that way. I was born in a very us versus them world. What if it's a person who's doing it to you, Rebbe? Like, are you allowed to stand up for your Rebbe? Are you allowed to? Are you allowed to not stand up for your Rebbe? You mean? Whoa. Right, yeah, of course the person had I me. Mean, you could ask Rebbe Kalish the, the, the specifics <coughs> in Nigeia if Chas Vashalom would ever happen here. That's not for me to say, but. Of course you can stand up for someone. If Rabbi Kalish, let's say, would, want, would see someone being, being uh, um, you know, hurtful to somebody else, my sense is that he would stand up and be down the kafskos. He would stand up to protect the person that's being hurt, and he would be down the kafskos, that a person unfortunately reached the point that he's hurting somebody else. It's not a, it's not a contradiction. Okay, what's your first name? Moshe. What? Moshe. Moshe, go ahead. That's a good question. The question is, if there is a role or a place in the Torah for people that are non-binary... Let me say this, okay? What? Let me, let me... Let me, let me say this, okay? Let me, let me say this. Obviously, this is... A, we, again, we could do a whole Q&A just on this. This is a big, big, big sogia. 
It's a big sugya. Um, I think about this from time to time because I talk from time to time to people that struggle with these types of things. And let me say, I'm gonna, again, I promised you completely vulnerable and honest and that's what I'm going to give you, okay? Um, when, l- let me make two points, okay? And then... We'll have to see, because this is the beginning. We could write a book about this, right? And you could probably write a book also. So, like, you know, so let's, uh, so, so let, let's start from here. Um, I firmly, 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 firmly believe, and I have good sources to back it up, that there is no such a thing as a Yid that there's no place for in the Torah. Okay? There's no such a thing. Now... I could spend time trying to pull apart your question when you say, is there a place in the Torah? What do you mean by that? So like, what kind of life are we talking about? And what are we, you know, and, and I don't know, I'm sorry? So that's, that's a, you know, and again, and I don't know, you know, that's something we could, we could, we could follow up on, but let me just start that my starting point is that every single Yid, every single Yid is a child of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and that, and that there's a malkim for every single year. And there's no such a thing as a person that's like, I'm sorry, but there must have been some mistake here because why am I alive? There's, there's no such a thing. There is a journey. There's a plan. Sometimes we don't understand the plan, but there is a plan. There's, now, exactly what that plan is, I don't know if I know, and I certainly know that we're not going to figure that out right now. That's for sure. But that there is a plan that I'm certain of. <coughs> I think that there's a big mistake. I think that there's a big mistake that we make sometimes when it comes to these types of things that are that are that ends up hurting people and causing a lot more damage <clears throat> than than the struggle itself should. And that is that we somehow place a right and wrong value on the way that somebody feels. And that's a mistake. The way that somebody, you cannot, we've talked about this a hundred times about other things, the way that somebody feels, a person should never be made to feel um, that he did something wrong because of the way that he feels. The way that a person feels is the way that they feel. How did it happen? How did it happen in, 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 in the world if Hashem only wants there to be male and female in the traditional way that it says in the Torah? So how did it happen that I don't feel that way? I don't know. That's a very good question. I'm sure there are a lot of opinions about it. That's, part, that's a chapter in our book, okay? But that's a very good question. But the fact of the matter is, if somebody feels that way, so the beginning of the story needs to be that we accept the fact that that is the way the person feels. That's a mitzvah. The person feels that way. So those are the two things. I said there are two things. That, to me, those are the two things that I start with. Number one, there's a makim for everybody in the Torah. And number two is that I will never, ever, ever judge a person right, wrong, good, bad for the way that they feel. <clears throat> now that being said, there are a lot of questions moving forward. 
The Torah uses very, very strong terminology when it talks about these types of things. So apparently the Ratzayin of Hashem is very, very strong in this area. That needs to be understood. And, and that needs to be understood. Object. We talked about honesty before. You know, it's very, very easy. People, people fall into that. That people that are people that don't struggle with this type of stuff, they have no problem with the very strong language of the Torah. People that do struggle with it sometimes are tempted to play around with the strong language of the Torah. But real honesty says that we don't do either. That we 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 understand that there are people that struggle with it, and we also understand that the Torah uses very strong language, and the Torah is true. Not that the Torah is judging feelings. And then the final question becomes, I'm just telling you the chapter titles of our book, okay? I'm not, uh, I'm not getting into, we're not, we're not writing the book right now. <coughs> then the question becomes, if HaKadosh Baruch Hu feels so strongly about this, and if HaKadosh Baruch Hu engineered that I would feel that way, so what is the plan that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has for me? Where does HaKadosh Baruch Hu want me to go from here? And that's a very, very good question that a person that's dealing with it, with the people that he depends on, need to go through that sugya and understand it. How do I understand, how could a person who's struggling with this not feel slapped in the face by the strong terminology of the Torah and not feel rejected? It's a very important first step to realize the Torah is mine. HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave the Torah on our Sinai, the Torah, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave the Torah to me. Now, the Torah, Hashem gave the Torah to me and has some very strong language in it. How am I going to bridge that gap? How am I going to understand how, how I can connect and be part of a Torah that has such strong language regard, without talking about what I do? But just even talking about how I feel, how am I supposed to connect with that Torah? Yeah, that's the, if, in my mind, I'm just reacting to your question, in my mind, that's where we have to roll up our sleeves and start working out where the journey goes from here. But the starting points are chayk v'loyavar. The starting points are, the Torah speaks to me, the t- there, there's no such a thing as a yid that it's not part of Hashem's world, that there's a journey for me, and that my feelings are not right or wrong. And now we can start the book. Okay. Okay, Shkayach. Um, I have two questions that kind of connected. Someone that went through a hard time called trauma, um, are them not keeping the Torah justified? I st- I'm, by the way, I've been asked this question many times. I'm pausing, like, oh no, what am I going to say? But I'm, I've really been asked this question many times. The pause that you're seeing, the pause is more, <sighs> that's very painful, than it is. What was the question? The question was, people that have gone through trauma, and therefore, or at least in their minds, therefore, right? So, you know, you know and are not keeping the Torah, are not keeping parts of the Torah, is that justified? Okay, what? Right. So justified. Right now, let's leave justified as justified. Okay. Let's see if we still have a question when I'm done. Okay. Um,
Again, I promised you honesty, right? So that's how I'm going to give it to you. The Torah was given to all of us, and we're all obligated to keep the Torah as it was given. That's the, um, that's the, that's the halacha. The question is not if someone has a heter to not keep the Torah. That's not the question. The question is at what point do we say that it was beyond the person's control? And I don't know that there's a human being that could pass in that question. In other words, I don't know that there's a person that we'll be able to go to and say, I've been through trauma, I can't keep Shabbos, and you'll go and Rabbi so-and-so will say, okay, you have a p'tor here, let me write a p'tor, you don't have to keep Shabbos. I don't know if there's, if, if there's such, I don't think there's such a thing, okay? I think the, the question and the, and, the, and the relationship to it really goes the other way. It really goes the way of, we're all trying to keep Shabbos. And some of us were unable to. So it was just a three-day antif, very challenging. And some of us were unable to. Now, I know. I know that you and other people here and other people in the world will be like, what does unable to mean? What does unable to I don't know where Yisrael Yaakov went. Is he, is he here? There he is. Yisrael Yaakov and I have a running machlaikis, right? Yisrael Yaakov and Yisrael, that's, that's my son Yaks by the way. Okay? So Yisrael Yaakov and I have a running machlaikis. So, we, we, have a, we have a running machlaikis if there's such a thing, if there's such a thing as, I'm about to say something, by the way, that Yisrael Yaakov himself doesn't know. Okay? A piece that I've been keeping in my pocket for the last year or two. Yisrael Yaakov has been dealing with his, with his challenge over the last year. And that I never said to him, now I'm saying, I'm going to say it now, okay? But, but let me first tell you what Armachlaikis is. Armachlaikis is, is there such a thing as I can't? That's Armachlaikis. Is there such a thing, if a person has arms and legs, a head and a heart, a person, is there such a thing as I can't? Is there such a thing? Okay? What? Like, like, like I would say, Yisrael Yaakov, it's time for Shachris. I can't go. Yes, you can. Get up and go. No, I can't go. I cannot go. Yes, you can. You, you have two arms and two legs. Get up and go. Well, if you put a gun to my head, I'll go. But that doesn't mean that I could. Is that right? That's what he holds. He holds He holds there's such a thing as, I just can't. I can't. That's what he holds. So, so if you ask Yisrael Yaakov about our about our machlekes, he will say he holds you just can't. And what do I hold? That you could. You just don't want to. What? You just might not want to. Okay. Okay. You said that, not me. But but okay. Fine. Fine. Okay. No, because I don't believe that he doesn't want to. Okay. I don't believe, let, let, me, let me clarify, the reason why I started up with you is because when it comes to him, and I think most people, I don't believe that he doesn't want to. I believe that it's very, 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 very hard for him to. 
Okay, there's a big difference between those two things. Right? Okay? So, and here's the issue, and here's the area where I come in, okay? That, that there's the here, the Khan, that's the machlekes that we have. Because there are things that I push him to do that he feels like he can't do. Now, I'm very, very, very close to him. And, and we have very open machlekes, as you can see, you know? This is not like some huge family secret that's now coming out, you know? We're very open about it. But, but the truth is, and, 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 and there's... And there's a lot behind this machlekes, as you could imagine. Okay, as you could imagine. There's a lot behind this machlekes, okay? But the, here's the area that I think is very, very, very important, okay? You go over to your Rebbe and you say, is it okay if I drive on Shabbos? Okay? Your Rebbe will say, no. It's not okay. You go over to your Rebbe on Sunday and you say, Rebbe, I drove on Shabbos. He'll say, okay, we'll move on. Then what do you mean? Was it wrong? He's not going to want to answer that. Why not? He's not going to want to answer that because he's not going to start getting into how much Bechira you had this Shabbos. It's not, it's, he's not going to judge it. He's not, he's not going to... It's, 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 it's not a question to him. In fact, in many times in the back of his mind, he'll assume, like, like, like this argument that we just had about you don't really want to. That, by the way... First name? What? Oh, fear. That, by the way, that you don't really want to, that's painful. Okay? That's very, very painful. Okay? Could you imagine if I said that to you? You don't really want to? I'm sure if one word flashes. What? I'm sure if one word flashes. If you always told me if I said I can't, then don't have to, then it would start becoming I The I can't would mean I don't want to. Yeah? You know what say? Um, I don't know if I really meant I don't want to. No, but the reason why it was painful is because I'm wondering how many people in the world have sat there in bed or have had a hard time keeping Shabbos or have had a hard time learning and had people tell them, you have to, and they said, I can't, and the person said, you don't really want to. And they were dying to. And that makes me very, very upset. That's not even in this conversation. There's no such a thing. Yisrael Yaakov and I could fight. We fight, by the way. I'm not exaggerating. We fight. We sat here. The entire shul is full of people learning. We were sitting on the front table fighting our heads off. Okay? We fight. I'm not, you know, I, I promised you honesty. Okay? All right? But never, ever, ever would I say he doesn't want to. I, look at this guy. Of course he wants to. Okay? The, the question is not, is it justified? The question is, should I be bashing myself and killing myself and, and, and doing all those things which is counterproductive in order for me to get to the place that I need? That's, that's why I, I, don't like, I don't like discussing if it's justified. Kaidem ha beforehand, you have to keep Shabbos. Ask Rabbi Kesh, do we have to keep Shabbos? Yes. I, I don't know what he says, but I'm pretty sure he says yes. You have to keep Shabbos. Rabbi Kalish, I didn't keep Shabbos. Okay, very nice. Why are you telling that to me? Let's move on. Because it's not the question. Bashing the not keeping Shabbos is not going to help you keep the next Shabbos. And the goal here is not to give everyone what they deserve, so to speak. The goal here is to bring everyone to a delicious, delicious engagement in Torah and Mitzvahs. Okay, you hear, you hear what I'm shifting here? Yeah, but if someone goes to a do they have the zero? 
I don't know who could answer that question on any given person at any given time. I would love to know. Tell me, Rabbi Kesh, tell me if there's such a thing as guys that keep some Shabbosim. What? Okay. I would love to, to, to know that there are guys that like, oh, I have some Kayach now. Okay, I could do it. Oh, now I don't have Kayach. Okay, what can I do? I, I, I love that. Because, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how much Bechir. I, I would never be able to give a Pesach. You don't have to keep Shabbos. But I understand, and, and I don't think that you could go to anyone to paskin that, because it's so internal. And you have to be careful. The thing that I wanted to say, the Yisrael Yaakov never heard me say, although I suspect that he suspects it, is that when he misses davening, or whatever he struggles with, I, I may even give him a hard time about it. But my, in my heart, I never think to myself, what's with this guy? Never. Because I know it's hard. I know it's very, very, very hard. I, I, I know that. Okay, we have this program we're working on. We're, 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 try, we're working together here to try to, to, try to get from, from where we are to where we want to be. You know, together. Key word. Okay? Reaction. What? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yisrael Yaakov was not in yeshiva this year. Okay, he stayed home from yeshiva the whole year. Okay, that doesn't sound very pushy, does it? No. <laughs> yeah, absolutely there's a limit to how pushy. And by the way, I'll be the first to say, even in front of him, I probably made a few mistakes over the year. Yisrael, you think I made any mistakes? <laughs> okay, I probably made mistakes. I'm trying as hard as I can. Yeah, he said yes, you know, and 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 if I didn't know him, if I didn't know him, I wouldn't go there. Yes. Um, I think all of us are very, we are all powerful, um, and very, we have a lot of willpower. Do you think that anybody who truly does does want something, they wouldn't do everything in their power to get it? Or to do it. And therefore? And so therefore, the person that says, I can't get up for Shacharis, does he truly want to go to Shacharis? No matter how hard it is. That's a, there's a lot of complexity there. A lot. But the, the, the short answer is, yes. The short answer is yes. The short answer is that he's saying we're very powerful people. If we really wanted to go, we could go. And what? If you want to see that morning at 7 a.m., you wake him up. Right, but okay, but you're saying that, okay? But do you really agree with that? If you wake up, if, you, if you're going skiing. It was that important to you, and like skiing was dominating with just as fun as skiing. Okay, so let me play it out to you, okay? Remind me your first name again. Avrami. Avrami, let me play this out for you, okay? You're going skiing tomorrow morning. You guys are leaving at 6. You're getting up 5.30 to Daven. You get up, okay? The next day, it's 10.30 in the morning. Rakelish walks in and says, I don't know, Rakelish would never do this. It's almost funny to say it. I don't understand. Yesterday, we were able to get up. Yesterday, we were able to get up at 5.30. Now it's 11.30. You can't get up. Apparently, you just don't want to Daven. Is that really true? Not, not, not so. 
Right. So why did you get up for skiing and not for davening? And davening you don't know, truly want to do? So like Mary is saying, if you truly want to daven, the answer is yes, you could. No. No. Because davening, because da- it's just not, it's not even a fear thing. It's not even a fear comparison. When I hear Machanchem say things like that, it's not just I think it's a bad technique, whatever. It's like, it's like, it's like, it's like a cheap shot. It's stupid, it's cheap. And the Machanchem themselves are being over on it all the time. Rebbe, They're doing it all the time. Rebbe, when a person um, commits himself to... Let, let, me, let me just finish this point, okay? We'll get to there, okay? It's just not true. A person is dying to daven, okay? But when it comes to davening, there could be a whole array of things that are holding me back. And I find it difficult to daven, and I don't understand the words. And what's the difference between today and tomorrow and yesterday? And every davening is the same. And there's a lot of things that could be holding me back. And skiing, I have one emotion to, and that's all. I love it. So when it comes to skiing, I can get, like, hello. When it comes to skiing, I can get up and do it. And when it comes to davening, there's a thousand different things that are pulling me in different directions. For someone to come and to say, oh, you see, if you really wanted to, I feel like it's just like... And I will find, any mechanech that does that, I will be able to find you in his life where he does the same thing. Okay? Where he walks in late to davening every Shabbos. If he, let's say I'm thinking about myself. You know, in the Rav of Ashul, you walk in late to davening, but when Rashul Kamenetsky is here for Shabbos, he's here exactly on time. The mechanech himself is like that. You know why? Because he also has a Yetzar and a Yetzar and it's very easy to understand. Your name first. It's really. That's a good question. That's a good question, Shirley. That's my favorite subject, so. Um, we're still good? What? We'll close with that? Okay. Do, do. What? One more question? He was raising his hand before. Okay. Um, willpower. Will, let me call, I'm going to call willpower Bechira right now, okay? Because it's easier because I know what willpower is. Okay? Willpower is something that goes up and down. And that it's true that sometimes I could have more of it and sometimes I could have less of it. And a lot of times... Um, you know, like a lot of times... Um, people stop smoking and start gaining weight, you know, things like that. So there's different reasons for that. But sometimes it's because I can't do both things at the same time. I don't have enough willpower. Okay? And, and it, it is true that you could start the day with a full tank and you could run out of willpower in the end of the day. It, it is true. You'll find if, you have, if you're in a situation where you have a relationship that's difficult for you, let's say you have a sibling that you always fight with. Okay? You'll find that a lot of, I don't know you, but a lot of people will find that at the end of vacation, they're getting into many more fights than the beginning of vacation. Again, there could be different reasons for that, but one of them is that you're running out of willpower. Right? Willpower is something we can run out, but just like, like a muscle. Right? You run and run and run and run and run, and what happens after a few minutes? You start running out of steam. But how do you build your ability to run? You have to work out. And willpower is exactly the same thing. 
Bechira slash willpower is exactly like working out. Okay? The more you exercise it, the stronger it will get. But at any given time, if you go to the weight room and you stay there all day, at some point you're going to run out of energy. And you could run out. So to ju- and, and a lot of times people could be dealing with things that you have no idea. You have no idea from the outside what's going on, but, but they're struggling. Um, let's say a guy decides to give up some, some, some weed, uh, alcohol, smoking, some, one of these things that, that's very, very difficult to give up, okay? Let's say a person decides to give it up. And then there's another guy that, that's not in the middle of doing that, okay? And they both go to speak to someone who's very, very difficult to talk to. So the one who's also at the same time working on dealing with, with, with restraining himself from something that he wants to do is going to run out of patience faster. There are studies that show this. So that's what I meant. You asked what I meant. That's what I meant. Yes, and you should be careful about this, by the way. You could, you could, challenge, you could balance your day. You could say, one second, if I'm doing that, my willpower level is going to be low. I have to be careful not to do that the same day. Again, it's my favorite subject, so I can talk about it for six hours straight. I'm just throwing a few pieces of information at you. Okay? Okay, Shkaya Asrali. Hi, Rosh Hashanah, for the session period, though, we're only six days, We're just going to close out with, uh, I don't know, that's the real, the real answer is I don't know. I will tell you one thing, though. Okay, on some level, what was the question? On some, when, Hashem, when it says that Hashem created the world in six days, what's a day? Okay, it's a very, very good question. I don't know the answer. It's interesting that with a lot of these types of things, of trying to fit together the world with what it says in the Torah and things like that, Why would you assume it's any different than a day is today? I agree. Right, so I'm not trying to like put it in chronological order. I thought that's what you were saying. Like, oh, what well, this and the Torah lines up with this and that and that. And I'm just wondering. I have no reason to assume it's not regular days. Okay? Rabbi say thank you very, very, very much for joining us today. Amazing. You're amazing. Chevra, chevra. Just, just to have it up, thank Rai Sunshine. We thank with song. I also want to say, right, two of the rebellions that impact us so much in Yeshiva, Rai Shapiro, and Rai Wasniki are Talmidim of Rai Sunshine. And you can tell in their open minded way of thinking and the way they thoroughly think through, you can tell who their Rebbe is. We're going to ask Mayer to do the high part of Eilecha to pay a little bit of our curse. Where's Mayer? Uh, so we'll all do the low part and do the high part. Kia, start us the key. Eilecha Hashem Ekra V'yel
Listening to a shear from shasilluminated.org. For other shiurim on many topics, or to hear an eon shear on any dafin shas, including Myron McClaimus on each shear, please visit www.shasilluminated.org. To order CDs or for more information, please call 203 312 SHAS. That's 203 312 7427. Or email info at shasilluminated.org. <laughs>